Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Sarah Abbott is working from her home back in the area around Bristol, Connecticut. I'm Buster only at my home in Montana. And Sarah, uh, yesterday, a lot of big news in baseball. Uh, one of the best players is apparently headed the injured list. The guy who has been the best pitcher on the planet for the most of the last six years is out indefinitely. An all-star was sent to the minor leagues, and a superstar prospect was promoted uh, from the minor leagues. And Sarah, he's a manager, could have held that news for one day, right? He could have saved it, broke that news on our podcast. What's up with that? I know. I was like, are you serious? But you called him out on it. So, <laughs> But I was like, this is, oh. Missed it. Just so close. <laughs> That's right. Nick Kral, general manager of the Reds, who you hear from in a little while. Uh, we taped an interview with him uh, on Tuesday evening. After news broke that Ellie De La Cruz has been promoted to the big leagues. And, you know, hear me give me out, give him a hard time about, hey, you, you could have saved that news for the pod because we had all these questions lined up. When are you going to promote Ellie De La Cruz? He made his major league debut against the Dodgers. On Tuesday night, he had a great first plate appearance, Drew Hawk, which says something about his, uh, his patience at the plate. And then when he came up in the bottom of the third inning, this is what happened. Gonsolin back to the plate. Fastball covered right center field. That's going to the wall, and the big fella is turning it on. He'll round first, and he will roll into second. And the first major league hit. For Eli De La Cruz is a double, and it was an absolute bullet. So he ripped the ball to right center field. It was the fastest any Reds player has hit a ball. I think it was 112 miles an hour, and he ran home to second faster than any Reds player this year. That was his first major league hit. That sound from 700 WLW. The Reds were down by a run. Bottom of the ninth inning, Jake Fraley at the plate. And this happened. Here's the lefty's 2-2 pitch. Hit him. Absolutely drilled Fraley in the right elbow. And the Reds have tied it on a bases loaded hit by pitch. Then Matt McClain, who I talked to Nick about in our conversation last night, uh, had a chance to end the game. This is how the game finished up. Swing, and there's a fly ball. Left center field. This will get the job done. Hayward giving chase. It won't matter. It drops anyway. And here comes Stuart Fairchild to score the winning run. Matt McClain and the Reds walk it off, overcoming an 8-3 Dodger lead to beat the Dodgers 9-8 with three in the ninth. The Braves face the Mets. And the Mets actually had a lead top of the third inning. Pete Alonso with the beat. One two to Alonso pitch. Swing and a high fly ball to left center field. Rosario turns, and this ball is gone. Halfway up the seats in left center field. Number 22 for Pete Alonso. And it's the second two-run home run of the inning for the Mets. That from WCBS. But the Braves have come back. Two out, runner at third. Tie game, the pitch. Swung on, hit up the middle. Escobar knocks it down, can't come up with it. Go ahead, run scores. Arcia with a two-out base knock. Five to four, Atlanta. 
Atlanta wins six to four. The Diamondbacks, the Nationals, and the Diamondbacks applied the coup de gras in the top of the seventh inning. Long hold by Cool. Now the pitch, swing, fly ball, center field. Call back onto the track at the wall. Leaps and he can't make the catch. That ball is gone. A two-run shot for Pavin, his sixth of the year, and the Diamondbacks hang ten on the Nationals. It is ten to five. That sound from Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. The Diamondbacks in first place in the National League West. Rangers, the Cardinals, a reprise of the 2011 World Series. Marcus Simeon came to the plate uh, with a his personal hitting streak 24 games. This is what happened. And he hammers that one in the air. Out to right field. Walker ranging back. It's over his head. Two runs are in, into third, Tavares, and it's a two-run double. The throw gets away. Here comes Leone, and Simeon goes to third. So he clears the bases. His hitting streak goes to 25 games, and the Rangers lead it 5-2. to two. So his hitting streak now at 25 games. The Rangers go on to win 6-4. to four. Texas now 40-20. and 20. We're going to be talking about that with Book Shambi. Coming up here because, you know what, not all the news was good for the Texas Rangers. They announced before the game that Jacob DeGrom needs Tommy John surgery. He'll miss the rest of this year and a lot of next year at least. The Blue Jays face the Astros. George Springer facing his old team did some damage. The 0-1. Springer rockets it. Deep left center field. Back at the wall. Myers jumps in the air. It's gone! Two-run home run for George Springer. Toronto wins that game 5-1. to one. Sound from Sportsnet 590. The fan, Kevin Gossman, pitched really well. He's in the conversation for best pitcher on the planet. White Sox, Yankees at Yankee Stadium. In the top of the fifth inning, Chicago took a 3-0 lead. The pitch. Swing and a blast. In the air, out into deep left, and he's done it again. Two-run homer. Up into that second level of bleachers. Just to legitimize that he has real power to go along with oppo power in the short porch. Let's just say that uh, that's about as far as a ball that he's probably ever hit in his life. That's ESPN 1000. Lucas Giolito threw six no-hit innings, but he required 100 pitches to do that. Uh, That no-hitter carried the bottom of the seventh inning against the White Sox bullpen. This is what happened. Driven into left center field. On the run is Ben Intendi and Robert is going to fall between them. That's the Yankees' first hit. Here comes Calhoun. That's the Yankees' first run. It's an RBI double for IKF. 3-1 White Sox. Still, the White Sox win 3-2. After the game, Yankees manager Aaron Boone announced that Aaron Judge is headed to the 10-day injured list with a toe injury that, of course, uh, was suffered when he went in to make that incredible catch, went in the fence at Dodger Stadium on Saturday. Here's Aaron Boone speaking with reporters. He is going to go on the IL. Um, He's got a a contusion and a sprain um, of the ligament. Um, So he had a PRP shot tonight. And then, I mean, the biggest thing now is is 
you know, trying to get the swelling out of there. Um, had some improvements today, um, but you know, now we're just see where we are in the coming weeks and or days, and then you know, week. But the biggest thing is getting the the uh, the swelling out of there now. The Brewers, the Orioles, a great game between these two teams. It was three all, bottom of the ninth inning. Joey Weimer at the plate, and this happened. One two pitch, breaking ball, hammered down the left field line. This ball is going to one hop the wall, and this game is over. Joey Weaver with his second walk off of the season, and the Brewers third, and they win it four to three in ten. That from six twenty WTMJ. The Mariners, the Padres, two teams of struggling offenses, but the Mariners kind of broke out top of the sixth inning. Here's the three two, swung on. Blasted, center field, driven deep, Tatis back looking up, it is gone! Into the Padres bullpen, Teoscar Hernandez rides it out, and the Mariners have the lead, 2-1. to one. A solo blast and a big one for Teoscar. That from Seattle Sports, 7-10 a.m. The Phillies, the Tigers, it's June, which means Kyle Schwarber, it's his month. It seems like it's a home run every day, every year in the month of June, and that didn't stop on Tuesday night. 15 homers, 33 runs batted in for Schwarber. As Alexander deals, and the pitch is lifted high and deep. Right field, going back McKinstry. He's looking up at the wall. It is gone. Leadoff home run for Kyle Schwarber. His first of the year. And it's one nothing Phillies here in the bottom of the first. That was Scott Fransky, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Phillies win that game 1-0. Sarah, what else you got? All right, Buster. Well, tonight is game three of the NBA Finals. And as always, the Hoop Collective has you covered. Brian Windhorst is there to preview tonight's game with Tim Bontense and Tim McMahon. So make sure you check that out wherever you are listening to this podcast. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The man. Swing and a high fly ball out towards left field. The voice. That one well struck. The legend. On its way. Out of here. 
Abdul Chiambi on Baseball Tonight. And this place is going bananas. Rube Chiambi, play by it on ESPN Radio and also for Cubs games on the Marquee Network. How you doing today, Boog? I'm good, brother. How you doing? Wait, what what happened to the legend voice? Like, what's going on? Like, you're so we're, quiet. We're, you're so reserved. Well, we're it's early in the morning. We're in California. I don't want to wake up the people in the rooms next door. That's what it happens. wouldn't take much either, right? No, not really. It wouldn't. It wouldn't even need to be like a triple for the cycle. It would need to be like a single, and probably going to wake them up. Well, thanks for getting up on the West Coast to do this. Uh, you and I talked about uh, talking last week, but you had so much going on uh, in advance of, of Lou Gehrig Day. I want to ask you about that uh, in a, in a bit. But there was so much huge baseball news yesterday. Uh, we get word the Texas Rangers, Jacob Degrom, is going to miss the season. He needs Tommy John surgery. His hope is that he comes back at the end of the 2024 season. And wow, Boke, he was emotional in speaking with reporters. Give a listen to Jacob Degrom. It stinks. You want to be out there. It's just not ideal. But um, you know, get this behind me and give it all I got, and you know, come back. The goal, you know, I'm going to set a goal to try to be back next year towards the end of the year. So work towards that, and you know, hopefully we're in a playoff run next year. And and you know, but you know, the most important things this year and these guys that we have, like I said, it's a special group, and um, you know, want to be here uh, rooting them on. Yeah, so Jacob DeGrom, you and I would agree, Boog. I mean, when he pitched, he's like a guy. He doesn't change expression uh, when he pitches, when he's dominating opposing hitters. Uh, he's not someone who's really, uh, you know, demonstrative on the mound. But, wow, to see tears streaming down his face yesterday. It's a reminder that, yeah, we talk about the money and we talk about whether the contract is worth it for the Rangers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Underneath all that, you're talking about a guy who wants to pitch, who wants to win a championship. Yeah, they're humans, right? I mean, it's uh, it's something that I think from time to time we forget, but there are guys who are, you know, human with emotions and they're fans. And I think the thing for, for me, when you look at you know, watching guys of that caliber, I feel for them because I just, I think it's just guys that are that great are just so good for the game. And I think that whether we realize it or not, part of why we like watching sports, we like watching greatness. I mean, I would submit that peak Jacob deGrom is in a conversation for the best pitcher ever, like at, at his best. I, I don't yes. I mean, You're You're talking about a guy that is as good as anybody that's ever walked the earth. It's just, yeah, you know, like you, you just got to remember that there, you know, the, these kids, started as were the guys started as kids with dreams in little league you know so you know i'm doing the cubs out in anaheim and say suzuki is a huge mike trout fan and he's dying to meet mike trout and he was he hasn't met him yet and he he was talking about what would it be like and he said he was going to be nervous he's not sure if he'd know what to say you know and it's like that's the another piece of the spectrum where um yeah, they're just human. They're 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 you and I, you know. And and with Degrom um, responding that way, it's it's powerful. Well, and he was someone who the Rangers signed, hoping to be the ace of their rotation. Um, he, he hasn't been available for most of this season, and yet this is a team that's forty and twenty. They're piling up runs. Uh, it's hard. Yes, uh, in October that 
Jacob deGrom that you mentioned, peak Jacob deGrom is someone, of course, that you would want, you know, in terms of controlling on October bats. I don't think this will affect the Rangers that much, Boog, as they move forward because of how powerful that offense is. Yeah, the other thing I would say is that, and I don't mean this in a wins above replacement way, I mean it in just a general way. We almost always overstate the win value associated with a single person. I mean, it, it's it's wild, but you you can sit there and just time and time again, losing one player from a baseball team, it's hard for it to submarine a season. It just is. It, it, it We always think it's going to more than it actually does, in my opinion. I think it, you you can always you can always err on the side of under that rather than over on, on the effect. And to your point, you remember last uh, July, as the Braves are beginning to cut into the Mets lead, I remember the conversation being, yeah, but at some point, uh, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer are going to come back from injury and then everything will be right with the Mets. And basically they play 500 ball in the games that those two guys started. Right. And, you know, there's just, yeah, there's countless examples of, you know, forgetting that the Atlanta Braves won a World Series in 2021. Oh, yeah, that's right. Acuna was done for the year. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's 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 one of those deals where it just doesn't normally play. I think especially in baseball, I think it just doesn't always play out the way you, you think. I think, yeah. All right, let's go from uh, the girl level, looking at this Ranger situation, to go to 30,000 feet. My growing sense, Boog, within the industry is, is that uh, that the team investment in starting pitchers, you're going to start to see a slide. I think we've already started to see a slide. Uh, you know, and we've had some recent examples of where teams have sort of forged ahead in the face of middle information. Right, because you know executives always say that you know the biggest uh, indicator of injuries to come is our injuries in the past. The uh, Washington Nationals plowed ahead with Steven Strasburg, seven years, two hundred forty-five million dollars. It might be that he throws a total of thirty-one in the third innings for that two hundred forty-five million dollars. The Yankees plowed ahead with Carlos Rodon. 162 million, despite that extensive injury history. The Chicago White Sox, his team, not even giving him a qualifying offer because of what they were concerned with. And the Rangers making this huge deal with Grom, despite the fact you had all these red flags all over the place. You know, they love the peak to Grom that you referenced. But boy, uh, <laughs> is it three examples of, of teams uh, moving through the information? And at a time when the number of innings being thrown by starting pitchers is going down and more teams seem interested in two- and three-year deals, I do think that there's going to continue to be a trend where you're not going to see those Garrett Cole-type contracts, those Whopper contracts, and teams saying, you know what, we're comfortable uh, you know, spending less on starting pitching than we were in the past. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't disagree. You know, it's funny. It, it dovetails nicely into – you know, a question that the Cubs are going to have to figure out, out because right. Marcus Stroman has been really, really good for them. And he's 32 years old. You don't have, you know, a ton of comps for five, seven righties, who, by the way, doesn't have much of an injury history. He's got a pretty unique body. Um, but at 32, he's got one year left or he can opt out. He's going to opt out. And then the Cubs question would be if they want to keep him, obviously it's got to be 
plus two, right? I mean, so it's next year plus, but like, do you, are you willing to go beyond that? Are you willing to go for his age 34 season, his age 35 season, his age 36 season at, you know, 20 something per? Um, so I, I think you're right. I think you're going to see, I, I, I'm not going to say never, but I think you're, you're going to see probably a decline in what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it, it will be interesting to, as we go forward, I'm going to start uh, actually working on a story about that today. And uh, the conversation club executives will be interesting. Marcus Simeon, I know your favorite thing are the on pace numbers, Book. Yes, you love, love it them. when I tweet out, you know, this player is on pace after 30 games to finish the year with these numbers. Marcus Simeon has a 25 game hitting streak, and he currently, Boog, is on pace to score 146 runs to drive in 133, to hit 50 doubles, five triples, 24 homers. He's been ridiculous this year. What do you think? Well, the first number, I think he's playing with good teammates would be my first thought. Um, but the rest of them, yeah, they're they're uh, they're very, very impressed. I mean, he, they score a lot, you know what I mean? So there are people on base in front of them, and there are people that – I'm, you know, knocking him in behind him. That's that lineup is ridiculous. It's it's pretty amazing. You know, you look at the, you know, the arc of of his career, and a guy who made 35 errors one season at shortstop for the Oakland A's turned into a Gold Glover at second base in 21. Did he hit 45 homers? I think with the Blue Jays that he parlayed yeah. into the seven year deal. So, you know. That's a guy who has has you know over time you know done the work and and uh, you know earned it. So he, he's he's quite a player. He's going to be in the MVP conversation. So is Aaron Judge. Uh, whenever he gets back from the injured list, uh, the other day when he went uh, when he made that incredible catch at Dodger Stadium, you know the next day we were all marveling about the fact that he went through the fence. Uh, it actually wasn't a gate. He actually knocked over a fence. So he beat the fence up top. But I think what was missed in the moment was Dodger Stadium, that part, those six inches of concrete at the bottom, that prevailed over Aaron Judge. I mean, he hit that with his right foot. He hit that that space so hard. It's not as to me he wound up on the injured list. What about you? It was pretty violent. Um, and... You know, obviously, if you're the Yankees, you got to take it cautious because you need him healthy. He's just such a crucial part of of their offense. He's one of the best players, one of the best hitters in the game. The one part of that, I don't know how much or you've discussed this at all. And I, I know the guys in the league office are going to get cranky with me about this, but I always like talking about like stupid rules. I don't know how much how much people have touched on the idea, but because he went through the fence, the runner first was entitled to second base because he left the field of play. Right. That's stupid. It was like, stupid. If it's one thing, if he flips over the fence, I mean, it's, it's a hard task, but like it shouldn't be his responsibility for this fence to be strong enough to hold him in. Like, so that there needs to be some discretion there. I mean, I, I just, so I just think sometimes we do, you know, that a rule is a rule is a rule, whatever. But just in that spot, that's that's pretty silly that that um, a base was awarded because the fence couldn't hold Aaron Judge. Yeah, I met with the umpires, that same umpiring crew before Sunday night's game. I wish they had asked them about that. 
Uh, and I, I even wonder if those guys would benefit 2020 hindsight and go, yeah, you know, with umpire's discretion, maybe the, the it would have landed differently. The Blue Jays send Alec Manoa down to the minor leagues. They're not even assigning him to AAA, Boog. They're signing him to uh, essentially their spring training complex in Florida. I think most of all because he needs a mental break. Uh, you know, Tim and I talked yesterday in the podcast about precedent for this, and, and we really struggled. You know, for a guy to be an all pitch at an all star caliber one year yeah. and to be sent all the way back down the next year so early in his career, he came up with Mark Fridrich, but that was injury related. We came up with Rick Ann Keel, that was related, as you know, to the Yips. Uh, I mean, the closest thing is Roy Halliday, right. who was not. Who was not at that level that Manoa was last year? He's one of the top three pitchers in the American League, um, and I think it's a, the Blue Jays doing exactly the right thing. Like above all else, I know they don't have a lot of depth in AAA. There's not a perfect solution for them to plug that spot. The most important thing is get Alec Manoa right. Yeah, no question. And I mean, it's got to be you know working together with him, right? I mean, that's a that's the big thing. So um, yeah, it's Stark, how he's fallen off. I mean, when Roy was sent down to the Florida State League, he hadn't achieved the little success that Manoa has. So I certainly hope that he's able to reclaim the all-star form that we saw. Luis Arise, two hits last night. He's batting 4-1. That's kind of a shocking number when we're talking about playing games in June. But a more shocking number to me, Book, is the fact the Marlins are 34-28. They're in yeah. second place in the National League. I you know, I mean, give credit to Kim Ang for, you know, some of the moves she made. She had very specific things in mind when she made decisions. And I think Skip Schumacher, he's a growing star as a manager. You and I have talked about Craig Council, Alex Cora, Terry Francona, uh, yeah. you know, guys like that being difference making. I think Skip Schumacher has a chance to be that type of guy, too, because he's so detail oriented. No doubt. Um, and again, they've they've done a good job with run prevention. Arise is is something to watch, but it's not a particularly good offense. And they've they've still pitched. And um, yeah, I'm surprised. There's no no doubt. What uh, what do you think the chance Arise hits 400? Zero. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> and and I just say that just because it's just the league's too hard now, man. It's just too it's just too hard. You know, it's like I mean, one of the numbers last year in the postseason, players hit two eleven in the playoffs. Two eleven. Now that's the peak of level of competition, but you know, last year. Major League batting average was 243. It was the lowest since 1968. And like they look mound the next year. So I, I just think for where we are right now, you know, I don't, I, Major League average has been fluctuating basically between 247 and 248 for most of the year. That's what the average hitter hits 247, 248. And you just have to deal with too many pitchers. There's too many guys coming out of the bullpen throwing a bazillion in the sixth inning. So I would love to see it, and I will root hard for it. But I would okay. say zero. All right. I'd love to ask you these uh, questions from 30,000 feet because you'll tell me when you think I'm full of crap without yes. hesitation. Uh, I was mentioned to Tim yesterday that let's say the Marlins slide back and they're more of what we expected them to be going into the year. I mentioned to him that relief pitchers 
their peak value is when you get to July in terms of trades, right? Because teams in the wintertime, they can say, oh, we'll, we'll figure the bullpen out. And a guy's going to throw 60 innings. They're not going to be as invested in that guy in January as they are in July. So teams will put relievers out in the marketplace. I think Luis Arise would be that type of guy. Like once we get in during the wintertime, when the, the Twins had him on the trade market, I don't think he was looked at as being a guy that everyone was seeking because he's not a good defender. But when we get into July and we're coming up trade deadline, if the Marlins aren't contending, man, that's the type of guy contending teams would love. Sure. <laughs> because he puts the ball play for exactly what you're oh, talking man. about, a 211 batting average in the postseason. Are you co-signing? I mean, that that he would have value for sure. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that you you can't escape the idea that the guys that are able to, to hit – um, it's way harder, so there, there's fewer of them. Um, I, I'm with you on that. All right. So we mentioned last Friday was Luke Eric Day. You've done so much work with ALS, fundraising, ALS awareness. Uh, tell me what it was like for you. Because you know Sarah Langs, you worked with Sarah Langs. What it was like to, for you to, you know, to see her being honored at City Field. It felt like, you know, she was everywhere over the last week. Yeah, I got to talk to her the other day, too, and just, uh, yeah, she was saying how she was kind of overwhelmed and still sort of processing it just because it was like, you know, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah everywhere, um, which delighted me just because of how much she loves the game. Um, And I thought it was was really good that there's, you know, a spotlight on her and a spotlight on ALS. I feel like that Lou Gehrig Day has, you know, it's brought more awareness as it's gone on. I mean, I think personally, it's <clears throat> for me, I sort of go back and forth. Like it, it, it makes me happy that there's more attention and people are becoming, you know, more aware. Um, and hopefully we move towards a cure and, or at least, you know, helping people, but it's also hard, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to see her sitting there. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a really nice moment. It just, uh, you know, Luke Gay out in uh, in San Diego for the Cubs was cool. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's just it's not always easy, you know. You were telling me before we got started about uh, an interaction that you had last night. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you could just relate that story, it was wild. I I was I did the Cub game last night with uh, Doug Glanville. We were Doug had rented a car, so we walked out to our parking spot. And there was a van parked right next to our car and the back was open. And as I go to put my stuff in the trunk of our car, I noticed that there's someone in a wheelchair. And when I turn and look, it's a group of Cub fans and the woman is in a wheelchair and she's got a blanket on. And as I start and she recognizes me and so her eyes get kind of big and then the guy recognizes me and their friend recognizes me and Dougie and I go over, you know, so we start to talk about the Cubs, but Immediately, the man says, my wife was diagnosed with ALS seven years ago, and actually three years ago, um, Project Main Street helped her uh, with uh, X, Y, and Z. And it was just one of those, you know, whatever moments you want to say, God moments. I don't know. It was just, uh, and we probably spent, you know, 15, 20 minutes talking with them in the parking lot. And just, uh, yeah, it was... uh, it was to be parked right next to them, you know, Cub fans, a woman who has ALS. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. 
Well, you do amazing work, um, you know, and every year we thank you for that. Uh, it's inspired and, you know, I, I definitely want to get you on at this time to uh, to talk about that. So thanks for getting up, Boog. And I, I uh, thank you on behalf of your neighbors that didn't say gone and your home run <laughs> voice. OK, that would have been ugly for them. <laughs> You're the best, brother. It's great to see you. I wanted you to hear some more from Jacob deGrom and his emotional uh, conversation with the reporters yesterday after news broke that he's out for the year. Here's deGrom talking about how one day he would feel good and then the next day he wouldn't. Well, it was just like, so I have days where I'd feel really good, days where I didn't feel great. So I was kind of riding a roller coaster there for a little bit and I threw one bullpen and I was like, okay, I can, I think I'm moving in the right direction then the next day i would come in and didn't feel great and i was like all right this is acting really weird and then it was just so up and down just didn't know really you know what they said originally there was we saw some inflammation was hoping that would get out of there you know you get it get an mri right after you pitch i feel like anybody would have an inflammation so and you know i was hope hoping that that would get out of there and i would be fine but you know it just didn't work out that way DeGrom was really upset, but at least now he knows the path that he has going forward. Give a listen. The one thing that I've kind of talked about is now we know what it is. So if anything, at least it's clear, like if I would have got it looked at again and it was, okay, we're not really sure then where you at. You're like, okay, I'm trying to throw, I can't do it. So at least this is clear, like we know, get it fixed and, and work towards coming back. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Crawl is the general manager of the Cincinnati Reds. And, and Nick, I got to say, I'm really kind of upset with you. Like, I, I, you know, it was my first question to you today. I had a big plan, had a whole script drawn out. When are you going to promote Ellie De La Cruz? And you you jumped it. Like, what is that about? Today. Today, I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about what, uh, in, what was behind this decision. You know, well, first, Nick Zell went on the injured list today um, with, with uh, he banged his knee uh, and ended up scratching, getting scratched last night uh, in our game. So uh, we needed a player to come up. We, we were we were pretty set to bring Ellie up this week. We, we've talked about it. Um, you know, the improvements he's made uh, coming into this year, both offensively and defensively and, and where he's gone. So, um, you know, we just feel that he he, he pushed through that barrier. And, and uh, you know, was, this was uh, the you know when Nick got hurt, it was a time to bring him up so give me a pure evaluation of Ellie de la cruz as a player now as he reaches the big leagues uh, you know he's got top end speed top end arm uh you know still getting better as a fielder uh has played both shortstop and, and, and third base uh you know he's he's 
He's got very good uh, bat-to-ball contact skills. What he's done this year is really done a good job of taking better at-bats and continuing to learn. And, and I told the story the other day. He had uh, I went and saw him a few weeks ago, and he started to change his approach a little bit. And he had a runner on third in AAA and he, three or uh, you know less than two outs. Just need to get the ball in play to, to get the guy in. He took ball one that was close, then took ball two and three, had a slider in the middle of the plate where he took for a strike, then swung and fouled one off. So, you know, you figure three, two, he's going to come after and see what happens. And he guy threw a ball off the plate. He took it for ball four instead of trying to chase out of the zone, which was a really, uh, you know, good insight into the maturation process of, of where he's gone uh, as a player this year. It, it's been It's been really fun to watch. So it's always the first numbers that I look at when, uh, you know, you, you read about prospects, you hear them being touted, go right to the walk-strikeout ratio, which always, to me, tells me so much about the player. And there's no doubt, you know, he struck out a lot this year, 50 strikeouts in 38 games, but the 26 walks. So it's not like he's got 10 walks and 50 strikeouts. 26 walks, uh, you know, tells you that he seems to be gaining command of the strike zone. And I think he had 10 or 15 in the first week and a half that he was in AAA this year. He was he started the year with an injury, uh, came back, had a, between 10 and 15 in the first uh, week or 10 days of his AAA season. And then since then, his, he's cut his strikeout numbers. He's, he's increased his walk numbers. But it's just it's it's the pitch-to-pitch quality of that bat that, that we're seeing with him that, that he's gotten better. That's been very encouraging. What's your plan for him as you move forward? Uh, he's, you know, he's going to come up. He's, um, he's going to play some third. He's going to play uh, shortstop, uh, and then hopefully he'll just be an, another good quality young player on this club. So it was about a year ago. I remember talking to Ben Charrington. You know how understated Ben is, and yet you could just feel his excitement about what he felt like that they were trying to build. And I was thinking about that today because you must feel the same way. Like there are all these different pieces that are really beginning to fall into place for you. Yeah, I'm very excited. I mean, you look at. You look at players, we had Andrew Abbott make his debut last night and he pitched six shutout innings, but pitched really well. Matt McClain came up a few weeks ago. Um, we've got guys that came up at the beginning of last year, Nick Lodolo, who, who's hurt right now, but Hunter Green as well. Um, and then you've got a lot of other young players. I think we look at Jonathan India and Tyler Stevenson as the veteran guys on this club, and they've only played in the big leagues two years. So it's been a lot of fun to watch the, the young players on this team. Alexis Diaz has been lights out in the closer role. It's been a lot of fun to just watch those kids grow up together, mature, and, and continue to uh, progress into the big leagues. What sort of culture are you feeling when you go in the clubhouse? It's it's a it's a very youthful culture. I, I worked uh, I worked for the A's uh, a long time ago as an intern, and you know we had a very a very young team. Guy, a lot of guys got along, hung out together. It, it's just it's very similar. It's it's really it's really good to have that, uh, that group and. They're just having fun playing together and, 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 and maturing and learning together. And, you know, we, we don't quit. This, this team does not quit. We, we were down uh, we were down uh, the other night uh, to the Brewers uh, 10 to 1 and came back and, and, you know, had the tying run at second base in the ninth inning. And, you know, I think it's, 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 it's a testament to what our coaching staff has done with this group. And, and it's been a lot of fun to, to just watch them grow from spring training day in day out and then all the way through the the major league and minor league seasons depending on where they've been so i've got specific questions about three different guys you mentioned matt mcclain tell me about what uh in your eyes is going to come next for him in terms of his development as a player you know matt's matt played his first full season last year in double a we pushed him uh he, he got to a point where he was tired at the end of the season so 
instead of sending him home, we actually pushed him to the fall league to see how he would do, how he could re- re- respond, wanted him to play shortstop every day because he and Ellie were splitting time in, in, uh, in Chattanooga. We put him in the fall league and he was, he was dead tired, but he's never played that long of a season before. And we thought it was a good test to see where he was. And, and you know, f- for as much as he struggled in the fall league, it was great to see his grind through it. He's, he, he grinds everything. So he came into spring training this year and, you know, we, we, we looked at it and said, okay, well, he did struggle in double A at the end of the year. Maybe we send him back there, but he played well in spring, uh, both major league and minor league camp. We end up sending him to triple A. He took off. He takes good at-bats. He uses the whole field. He can play both second and short. Um, very athletic kid that can really run the bases. He, he's, he's just a, a spark plug in your lineup. It's funny that you mentioned that, you know, I had a conversation with Buck Showalter earlier this spring and he goes, in his eyes, the sixth tool is the the tool to post up. And he mentioned that he thought last year, Brandon Nemo, like crossed that Rubicon and, and you as an evaluator, leader of baseball operations, that's got to be an important one. Absolutely. I mean, if you got you got to be on the field and, and you know, they're, they're, you're going to play through some injuries. Uh, you're going to play through some dings and, and it's, it's a, it's a tough season. It's a very long season. Um, it, it's, it's something where, getting these guys to continue to progress and, 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 you know, work through it has been great to see. And it's, that's a real testament to our, our, our scouting staff, our player development staff and our major league staff trying to get, you know, bring kids in that, that, that are, um, that are good players, but also work hard, do, do all the little things right. And, you know, he's been, uh, he's been really good. So you mentioned Andrew Abbott made his debut uh, on Monday night, six scoreless innings. And I watched him pitch. I was thinking, Man, the big thing maybe going for him is you just don't see guys like him anymore. He's kind of that funky left-hander, and, and there's not a lot of, you know, in this era in which so many guys just throw 99 miles per hour, he seems like he pitches. He, he throws strikes, uses both sides of the plate, uh, can pitch up and down, uh, uses four pitches, and, and just keeps guys off balance. But he knows how to pitch. He knows how to go after a hitter. He knows what to do uh, out there. And, you know, for him, it's it's been – he went to double-A this year. He dominated Dayton last year, went to double-A, struggled. We sent him back to double-A to start the season, and he was lights out. He couldn't have been better. Uh, went to triple-A, you know, had a little bit ups and downs uh, to, to start it with with just his pitch-to-pitch command, and, and it, it's just something he's worked through. And, um, you know, last night he had he had a little nerves, I guess Monday night. Uh, he had a little nerves uh, in, in, uh, at the beginning, uh, walked, a few, uh, walked a few batters, and then uh, he was really good to, to – you know, I think he had 50 pitches through two innings and ended up pitching six. So it was really good uh, to, to watch him just figure it out and learn how to pitch. So this is about the time of years, you know, far better than I do when the GMs are kind of contacting each other and feeling each other out. And what's your thought process? What, uh, first off, what are you hearing generally about the market and, and what are you telling other teams? I think for us, it, it's, it's, a. Uh, you know, we've had some conversations with some teams. I think it's a little bit of a wait and see. We've got we've been bringing some younger players up. Let's see how they play. Let's see how they gel, and then we'll see what uh, how, what that does for our team and, and how we can improve our team as we go into the trade deadline. And uh, you know, it you know it'd be nice to be in a position where we were in in twenty twenty versus twenty twenty two. I was going to say where you guys are now, and where given the context of the division. Uh, I'm assuming, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but you're not ruling anything out at this point in terms oh, no. of how competitive that you guys are within the division, how well you're playing. Absolutely not. I mean, I think, you know, some of our, some of the players that we're getting to add to this team are coming internally from our system. 
um, with 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 Ellie coming up, with Nick Lodolo coming back from injury. Uh, you know, we've got a handful of relievers coming back. Our bullpen's been pretty solid so far this year. So it's it's just it's a wait and see. Let's see how we play and let's see where we are, and then we can address that and, and assess where we are and, and address the situation when we get to that point. I lied. Joey Votto, tell me uh, how close in your eyes he is. He started a rehab assignment this weekend. Uh, I talked to him yesterday. He seems in good spirits. I, it's just getting his at-bats, and let's see how he, he feels He feels great. Um, he started rehab earlier in the year. Wasn't quite ready, just had struggled to push through his shoulder. Um, you know, you're coming off of major shoulder surgery. So uh, he's been he's been really positive and, and getting after it over the last uh, several months, and, you know, he should be back hopefully in the next three weeks. Nick, thanks for doing this. Uh, the debut of a, a prospect like Ellie De La Cruz, so much fun. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Buster. Appreciate you having me. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster. It is time for Bleacher Tweets. Our first one comes from Hilly Hillel. I'm unsure on how to pronounce your name. Very sorry. Armbarn Creef. Why do the outfield walls not have more padding and protection? Players too often get hurt crashing into the wall. I can't imagine that having Aaron Judge hurt is worth not investing into better padding. So the reference there, Sarah, just so you know, is I think it was a couple of years ago when, uh, you know, there's a conversation about whether or not bullpen was an appropriate, appropriate to call that area where relievers warm up. He suggested we call it arm barn. He liked that better. And so I, I think that uh, that's where the, the moniker is there. Look, I agree with you. I, it was interesting the other day when we taped Eduardo Perez taped something with a, uh, you know, a couple of the uh, the Yankee support staff sort of replaying Judge's catch from the day before. And it jumped out at me in that spot where Judge went into the fence, that six inches of unprotected concrete at the bottom. And look, I'm not going to pretend to be Janet Marie Smith and an engineer and know what could happen. But when I looked at that, I'm like, why do you have that six inches of concrete at the bottom that's exposed? It does feel like that they could do an absolute fine print review of all these little nooks and crannies of ballparks everywhere because you, you potentially could avoid a situation that we now have with Aaron Judge. Next up is Elizabeth Hart. Can you please have future Cy Young winner Kevin Gosman on your podcast? I know you planned to it pre. I know you planned to previously, and it didn't work out. But I think it's time to show this man some respect. Yep, agree. He's one of the best pitchers on the planet right now. I'd love to have him on. Uh, we did have him lined up uh, to 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 make an appearance. I know Kevin; he's a great dude. Hopefully, that'll happen at some point. Kevin, this is an open invite. <laughs> Next up, we have Kevin. Yep. Bunnell, Will Clark has to be in the conversation for sweetest left-hand swing. Yep, uh, I would co-sign that. He's in the conversation. His swing was absolutely beautiful. Next up is Real Camp Drew, Andrew Campbell. Buster, I feel like there if there was an expansion team going to be in Las Vegas, the new franchise would be like the Golden Knights hockey team and everything about the franchise would be totally Vegas and wild. So I'm not going to go deep into the weeds on this because there's so many uh, there's so much going on with the state of Nevada and this legislature and and how this is going to play out. I mean, it's gone from being a, a 
foregone conclusion that the athletics should move to Las Vegas. And now it's an open question what their future is going to be. And I must say this one huge difference between what the Golden Knights are doing, Drew, and what the athletics. Can you imagine, Sarah, how long it would take for the athletics franchise to be in a position where they would be relevant? Like if you're, you know, going to sell a baseball team in Las Vegas, you'd want the fans to be all like, all right, here they come. You know, a team that's going to compete with the Yankees, the Dodgers. No, we are a million years away from that happening, considering how bad the athletics franchise is right now. Yeah, and I think, too, when you look at teams like the Raiders or the Golden Knights, the Golden Knights are such an exception because that's a Vegas team. Like, they're not coming from somewhere else. That team is made at Vegas. And so it holds a special spot in the community of the people who are locals there. Um, and the Raiders just had like this huge fan base just naturally that would shift wherever they went. So I think, yeah, I agree. Yep. It's a different situation. And last up we have here for real. Do you think the amount of teams making the playoffs is encouraging to put guys on the IL to rest and ultimately water down the regular season? The Phillies Padres proved you just have to make it. Is the MLB becoming the NHL in that way? Travis, I'll, I'll answer your question this way. I, I don't think it's the playoffs per se um, that that are you know moving teams to doing this. I think it's just the access to better and more medical information. And I've related this story in the past, uh, talking to Dr. James Andrews uh, and uh, somebody worked with Glenn Fleisig. They told me, this is 20 years ago, they said as the medicine gets better, you're going to see more players spend time on the injured list. And when he's, it's counterintuitive, but then when you really think about it, it made sense then and it makes sense now because uh, teams, doctors can diagnose injuries to the smallest degree. And so if you have a, a 10% hair of a ligament, the team can say, you know what? It's better to shut the player down, rest them up, get that right so we don't lose them for a longer period of time. Uh, and that's why we have so many guys going on injured list because they can really dig into the nitty gritty of the injuries as opposed to 50 years ago where they basically say slap some dirt on it and just try to compete and, and stay active. Um, so I think that's where the shift is. And that is it for Bleacher Tweets. Be sure to submit your questions using hashtag Bleacher Tweets and we will be back on Friday. That's it for today. My thanks to Boo, to Nick Crawl, to Sarah. You've got Taylor listed here, Sarah. Like on my note here, in terms of who I'm supposed to thank, I'm supposed to thank Taylor. What's up with that? He's always a part of the show. We always thank Taylor. <laughs> you haven't ripped him enough in his absence. I mean, you got free reign. He's like on a tee for you. No, we. it was his fault about Monday. And I just need everyone to make that very clear the oh, reason that's true. yeah he was it responsible was responsible for the yes. plane being delayed right yes it was it 100 was his fault the plane was delayed he controlled that that was on him so everyone make sure it, that's clear it's his fault and uh for that reason we're going to specifically say no thanks taylor for today <laughs> great day everybody Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. 